Welcome to the Bible Reading Plan podcast by Victory Point. One of the best ways to grow as a disciple of Jesus is to read and reflect on Scripture daily. We created this podcast to guide you through our daily Bible reading plan that helps us dwell in God's Word as we grow together in listening to the Spirit. Whether you're on your commute, doing dishes, or just getting up in the morning, we're glad you tuned in. Good morning and welcome to the Bible Reading Plan podcast. My name is Brendan. I'm back today with Tom and Kristen Bursma. Um, thanks for joining me, you guys. Um, it is 12 hours ahead there, which means it's 8.54 at night. Uh, it's 8.54 in the morning here. Um, we're recording this a couple weeks in advance. Um, but you guys have been part of Victory Point since when? Uh, well, technically in 1986, uh, my folks started uh, with a couple other families, the church Lighthouse. That's right. And so you guys have been I, part of Victory Point since the very, 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 very beginning. Yes. Since very, it was just a twinkle beginning. in someone's eye. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Great. So, and then I think the churches combined, I don't know, 92 maybe, 91, yeah. 92. Yep. And so this is the church I have been a part of almost my entire life. And when we got mis- uh, married, I can't speak right now, uh, we joined Victory Point as our church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. And what is, what is your relationship with Victory Point meant over the last few years? Like, oh, wow. Wh- do you wh- wanna, <laughs> I'm doing yeah, Do you want to get me that weepy? I mean, <laughs> What's I it mean, been like? What's it been like being in partners with Victory Point for you guys? Victory Point is our church home and family. Um, yeah. We have other churches that support us, but none of them are our home and family like Victory Point is. Mm. Um, when we come back to Victory Point, um, when we go to the U.S., I mean, it's just, there just aren't enough words for how precious and special it is, the relationships, the people. Um, just being part of that community is so life-giving. And when we're out here knowing that Victory Point has our backs, is like one of those things that has encouraged us and kept us going for these years. Yeah, I have through the years bragged about Victory Point. Yeah, to other missionaries. <laughs> you know, because you kind of compare your the church that sent you, Victory Point, the do. church that sent us. It's one of those missionary so conversations. Our, our commissioning church, or sending church, and we compare notes and, <laughs> you know, we share about Victory Point and we've got a number of people like, wow, that is a... We make people jealous. Yeah, yeah. So we feel love. We feel blessed. Um, Victory Point through the years, God has used Victory Point in so many ways to help sustain us and yes. uh, really strengthen us. Again, you know, God's grace comes through many avenues, and that's one of the avenues that God has used to allow us to be on the mission field for 18 years. Mm. Wow. That's really cool to hear. Um, it sounds like uh, you know, there, there are many ways that you guys experience support from Victory Point. I'm yes. sure financial is important as you guys are out there. But <laughs> my sense is, as you're talking about that, that Victory Point is a family that you know you always um, can count on. Yeah. And uh, that makes me happy. It, it reminds me of the work you guys are doing with uh, the leaders you're supporting in the Philippines and how you said, Tom, yesterday about the pastoral care of these leaders them knowing that there's a, a relationship there that's unconditional and, you know, someone there to love and support them gives them the strength to be able to continue to serve and love and pour out to other people. So um, it's cool to be caught up in this, you know, 
this cycle of relationships of, you know, self-giving love, you know, you guys are giving love to your missionaries and they're giving love to the people they minister to. And then um, Victory Point is giving love to you guys, but you guys are giving love to us too, especially like just the way you guys stay in touch and teach us so much about the gospel and about uh, mission and about discipleship um, and empowers us. You guys empower us for mission and ministry also. So thank you for the way you guys encourage us in our hearts to be reminded of, of the, um, the impact uh, and the potential and the global scope and the, um, just uh, the you guys remind us about what it means to be um, living on mission. So thank you for that too. Well, um, we're, I mean, glad to have you guys on the podcast this week. Uh, yesterday we were in Exodus and today we're in Psalm 149. Um, Tom, would you mind reading this for us? It's Psalm 149 verses one through nine. I think that's the whole thing. Um, yep. Would you mind reading this uh, passage for us? Okay. Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker, let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people, he crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in his honor, in this honor, and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Tom. So as we read this passage, what does the Holy Spirit seem to be you know, pulling out of this for you today? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, Psalm 149 is one of my go-to psalms. Really? Why is that? <laughs> um, yeah. And I would say like my go-to psalms, like Psalm 1, Psalm 8, Psalm 100, Psalm 103, Psalm 123, uh, the Psalms of Ascent, and the last three uh, psalms, or the last three chapters rather, in Psalms, Psalm 148, 149, 150. Um, and the reason I call it, kind of call it a go-to psalm is uh, it's, it's intense. It, the last three psalms are an intense declaration of worship to God. And each chapter is like, I, it's like punches, you know, like each one. Uh, going up to let Israel rejoice in their maker, let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. And it like, and you see that in Psalm 148, 149, 150. And if I kind of want to pull out a psalm that's just praise focused, yes, there's a lot of psalms that are praise focused, but there's something very intense uh, in its level of praise for these last three chapters. Um, I think kind of an interesting point about it is it takes an kind of an odd twist at the end <laughs> where it Psalm 148 and Psalm 150 are just pure go or Psalm 149 does this twist at the end starting in uh, verse six and yeah. then at the end that people think, why are we, we want like, go God, we love you. We praise you. Oh, I mean, you kill these people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think some of our training as missionaries has helped us to understand why this sudden turn. And we learn a lot about 
uh, honor shame cultures. I don't know, Brendan, do people, are they familiar with that term, kind of honor shame cultures? Or is well, that just a yeah, I know what you're talking about, but why don't you explain it for people who may not be on. Sure, I'll try to make this quick and maybe Kristen could help me, but uh, American culture or Western culture tends to be guilt innocence. So you think a lot of people kind of think in terms of like I'm guilty or I'm innocent. Yeah, legal framework. Yeah, and yeah. it kind of is, I think in the West, we tend to think of very individualistic. Individualistic and my relationship to God, and we think in those terms. Uh, it's vertical. Uh, the honor shame is more horizontal. More community based. More community based. And so you're either honored in front of the community or you're sh you're shamed in front of the community. Um, yeah, yeah, in front of everyone. And and those feelings don't come from am I intrinsically guilty? It's am I in, am I shamed by all around me? Yeah, yeah. And we we could tell you many many stories that we see every day of honor shame here in the Philippines that it would look very different in the West. And one thing we learned in our training that I find very fascinating is the culture where this is coming out of in, in Israel and is present today, honor, shame, is in, in those, areas, those parts of the world, they tend to focus on uh, honor. And one way we get honor and one way God is honored is by our enemy being killed. Or shamed. <laughs> or shamed. <laughs> uh, and so you see that in David, you'll see, we praise you, God. And may you kill these people and it's wipe out my enemies. It's basically as we shame and destroy, God is honored and we are honored. Um, in Asia, it's very different. It's uh, let's all be honored together. Let's all be honored together. I'll <laughs> honor you, you honor me, we'll all uh -huh. be honored. Whereas but the cultures that this come out of it's a zero sum game. It's a zero sum game. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Pretty ruthless. So it's kind of an interesting twist where in our minds we're like, why do we go from praise to like kill and have vengeance? But in, I think for David and the culture he comes from, it's praise, honor, and here's just more honor. We're talking about vengeance and uh, you know, binding the kings with fetters, carrying out a sentence against them. That's just more honor to God. So in the process of shaming and dishonoring the enemy, God is honored. So that's kind of why it fits in there, which doesn't totally make sense in our minds. Yeah, I really appreciate that insight, honor, shame. I never would have you know, seen this passage and thought about the honor, shame, Never. I think there's other passages where I would have seen that more clearly. So thanks for, you know, drawing that out of there. Um, something else that a couple other things come to mind about that, because that was what was sticking out to me too. A couple other things that um, uh, come to mind with that is that we're talking about people who are oppressed. We're talking about a group of people who um, are feeling the nations coming against them and uh, they are, needing God to be a God who actually rescues them. When we're in a country like America, you can t sometimes feel like we're on top of the world and we don't necessarily feel like God needs to be our national rescuer from a, a more powerful force. And so it's, it seems a little strange to read something like, God, would you destroy my enemies? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, that seems a little over the top. Um, <laughs> So I think that's another thing is that we're talking about people who feel like a very small group of people against these huge nation powers, you know, that, that are around them that are going to wipe them out for their land, you know, the really fertile land there. And they're um, feeling very vulnerable. So they need God to be their defense. The other thing I'll say about that is we're talking about the faithful, like God's people. God takes pleasure in his people. He adorns 
the humble with victory. Let the faithful exult in glory. And then he says, um, and two-edged swords in their hands. You know, let, let the high praise of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. So we're not, it's interesting because they're not talking about God executing vengeance on the nations. Um, it's talking about um, God's people praising him and having swords in their hands to execute vengeance um, and to bind kings and, um, and their nobles with chains of irons and execute on them the judgment uh, decreed. So um, again, a little uncomfortable there because we don't go to worship services with like swords in our hands, ready to like kill people who oppose God, right? Yes. Um, but it's really interesting to see how the people of God are involved in God's justice, in what God wants to do in the world that the things that we pray for God to do in the world, to set the world right, this Psalm seems to assume that God's people are part of making that happen. And I think that's a really cool thing about this Psalm is that the worship that we engage God is not separated from justice that God wants and that we are involved in executing the justice of God. Um, hopefully today and hopefully with Christ, we're not looking to execute, you know, actually execute people. <laughs> that would be <laughs> not what God would want. Um, but uh, hopefully we are able to execute the same kind of uh, uh, justice and judgment that Jesus uh, proclaims and um, displays on the cross, right? So um, I think that's something that I'm, that I'm focused on right now in this passage is how am I... Um, how are the prayers and the songs, um, the worship that I'm giving to God, how is that implicating me? How is that involving me in the mission, in the justice, in the judgment of God in the world? So um, to pray with my feet, so to speak. Uh, that's kind of what has brought me uh, in this passage. Anything else you guys want to pull out of this? Anything, um, any other thoughts that are emerging for you? Um, I just, I, I love that first part of verse four where it says, for the Lord takes delight in his people. Mm. And I think um, that was something that I needed to be reminded of when we, you know, Tom talked yesterday about we, how we had this big gospel encounter um, in our lives. And I had never really understood that the Lord took delight in me. Yeah. Um, I kind of felt like he loved me because he said he would. And so he had to keep his promises, but not that he like wanted to or delighted in me. And it, when I, every time I see those kind of words in the Bible, they just kind of grab me and remind me. It feels like those reminders, like, you know, it doesn't depend on me. It depends on the Lord. And yeah. he takes delight in me because he's chosen to. And, and it's such a gift. Yeah. Like when we imagine the face of Jesus, we imagine the face of God. What do we imagine? You know, is it is it somebody who is reluctant? Um, do we feel a sense of guilt like you talked about, uh, Tom? Uh, do we feel uh, shame? Uh, do we feel like um, we're bothering God or troubling him, or maybe God isn't, uh, you know, paying attention to us, or is it the sense that God is taking delight in us? And um, that seems to be what the psalmist uh, believes about God is that God is taking delight, taking pleasure in his people, not just one individual, but all of his people. So yes. that's definitely a transformation that we need to constantly be um, transformed by, I think is, um, how God looks at us with pleasure and how that changes us. That's huge. Thank you, Kristen. Well, with that, um, may God take pleasure in you today and may you feel his pleasure over you. 
uh, everyone as you're listening and as you go throughout the rest of your day. Uh, may he adorn you um, as a humble person who has victory. And um, pray that, uh, that as you go throughout your day, you're also thinking about uh, how am I involved in God's justice and God's judgment in the world? Um, what role do I have to play in the prayers that I pray? So with that, uh, go in peace, everybody. Thanks, Tom and Kristen. We'll catch up with you tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bible Reading Plan podcast. If you have any reflections on the scripture we just read, please click the link in the show notes to leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Let me send you on your way with a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace.